0: Welcome and happy Friday. This is Travelog, the podcast of Condé Nast Traveler, and we are here in the Condé Nast podcast studios. I've got Catherine the Grave. Hello. I got Sebastian Modak. Hello. And I got Bridget Hallinan. Hello. All of those people are editors for Condé Nast Traveler, and they also write, and they know things and they know people. My name is Brad Rickman. I'm a hermit. (laughs) (laughs) And this is our show about, well, okay, publicly we're calling this Late Night Eats. That's our polite, public-facing name for this thing that we have done. Internally, I think we can confess to podcast listeners that we've been calling this from the very beginning drunk food. That was the idea. We loved the idea. And we have remained faithful to that idea Even though the Outward trappings have attempted to paper that over (laughs) with genteel discussions of late night that don't involve alcohol. But why do you think that is? I want to ask you guys that. What is it about the experience of the middle of the night arriving? You're usually not out in the middle of the night unless you are doing something social and fun. If you are, it's probably sad. And we don't
1: want to write about that. Just <laughs> roaming the streets. Yeah.
2: I like, I mean, I or just, going to a hospital. <laughs> listening or. to Sufjan Stevens. <laughs> <laughs> I, and like, Steve. I liked it because I feel like that's when you really see a place, right? Is This is the place that you don't find in the guidebooks, but it's where you find the people that really live in the city. And a lot of these places in this package are not the best restaurants in the city, right? They're not even places that have foods that are emblematic of a place, but it's kind of like the place that we all know that everybody goes to after a few drinks or before a few drinks or in between Mm -hmm. and hangs out. And to me, that's where you find a true spirit of a place. So that's what I really liked about this.
1: And I think it's, I mean, maybe there are exceptions to the rule, but for the most part, we're talking like unhealthy, (laughs) greasy... Cheesy. You know, a little indulgent. Bridget um, did
2: try and pitch something about a kale salad. Oh, for yeah. She did. I remember <laughs> that. Everybody
1: laughed. Yeah, well, I wanted face. to
3: find... Someone is out there that drunk eats a salad, and I want to find them, <laughs> but that's another tangent. Bridget
1: Bridget.
0: The person whose breakfast is poutine eats a kale salad <laughs> yeah. when they're wasted. <laughs> well, was in to the say because I
1: think it's just... Those are all kind of par for the course for a night out or a social night out. It's kind of, you know, you've let your guard down a little bit. You're not as worried about eating well. You know, you're... Mm-hmm. Kind of taking a risk some of the times. You're eating in an unfamiliar place off an unfamiliar street, not literally off the street, but mm-hmm. can if depending on how drunk you are. <laughs> um, Don't rule it. But out. you know, it's all kind of part and parcel of that experience of. Of being one with the night like Batman.
0: But I think it's a... C- Catherine, you made a great point. Uh, not that the others of you didn't. I don't want to be a favoritist here. <laughs> Catherine <laughs> made a great Catherine boom. point. Catherine made a terrific hmm. point. I
1: think mean, it depends where you put the emphasis. Uh, Catherine made a good point. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Catherine made a great point <laughs> when she said that these are not places that show up in your... typically in your tourist guide. They're not destination places necessarily. They may be adjacent to it or nearby but typically... You know, when people gush over the restaurant scene in a particular city, this isn't what they're talking about, right? What they're talking about are the Michelin starred places or the celebrity chef places mm-hmm. or, you know, the place where foie gras has been reinvented as an ice cream or whatever. <laughs> yeah. um, <Yum>. and that <laughs> and that's not what we're talking about. This is the sort of dark hours of the night after you've been at the concert or you've been out eating with your friends or with locals or whatever, and they do tend to be very local places. That's the thing. It's
1: insider-y too, right? Mm -hmm. It's like you're being let in on a secret that most tourists don't get to see. At least it can feel that way if you're participating in it.
0: Yeah. So one of my favorite things that we did here, and this is getting at your point, Seb, because you also made a good point, which is that (laughs) (laughs) we we found you do find commonalities in the types of food that people tend to gravitate towards. And one of my favorite things that we did here is put together what we're calling a debatable encyclopedia of drunk food. So what is in our encyclopedia of drunk food and what are the common elements to the things that went in here? How do we decide what what went in the drunk food encyclopedia?
2: Well, I think we started with the food instead of the place, right? Mm -hmm. So we talked about, French fries. We talked about pizza. We started really broad stuff that you eat again after a few drinks. And then within each entry, we went very encyclopedic with it. We have the pronunciation. Um, so don't call them freedom fries. Um, <laughs> and we have regional variations.
0: Don't right? call it za. I like oh, that. Yeah, that don't I thought call that was very important. Job. That's a good one. Do not call it za. No matter
1: how drunk you are. Yeah. Rookie <laughs> mistake.
2: Um, and the one Seb wrote was fried rice. We have croquettes, which, you know, we have dumplings. So these are all foods that you'll find around the world in different iterations.
0: Um, so the rule there, if I remember this correctly, because we had debates about this, the rule there is that these were foods that show up in more than one place. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It it's kind of particular to a single place, that didn't belong in the encyclopedia. The things that are here are common across at least a certain number of cultures, right? Yep. Fair to say. Okay. So let's talk about them. What are some of those?
1: We got croquettes. We croquettes. Got...
0: What's croquettes? What? I don't want you to read it. That's <laughs> audiobooks. <laughs> <laughs> That's, <laughs> audiobooks.
1: Are... That's a whole separate Isn't it business like unit.
3: Mixed potato, usually with like cheese. Sometimes yeah, there's sometimes ham some meat, in it some and it's fried.
1: Most importantly, it's fried, deep yeah. fried. Uh-huh. So you just got a basically a fried. Nugget ball of, of
2: deliciousness.
1: Of deliciousness. And
0: you can kind of put anything in there, right? Exactly. It's, it's so
2: good. <laughs> And I like the variations. So for each entry, we have eat it here. For the croquettes, for example, there's it's called Fibo. It's this vending machine in Amsterdam, 24 hours, and when people drink, I mean like a huge vending machine. Sort of picture a big wall, and again, not the best, but you go and you can order some croquettes and get them piping hot from a vending machine. Or um, you can
1: be in Brazil and get a completely other different variety at a 24-hour juice bar. What exactly?
0: Are, what's in the croquettes that you're getting in Amsterdam?
2: Well, I like the plain cheese ones, so, so just of a ball of cheese. Ball of cheese fried <laughs> potato. Yeah. potato and yeah. cheese, yeah, yeah, yeah. Potato and cheese. Mm-hmm.
0: Okay. Yeah, you need the potato to fluff it up a little oh, bit, right? Oh yeah. Okay.
3: That's a big thing. Like I was in Belgium like two years ago and when I got a lot of moulet frites like mussels and french fries, there was also a lot of croquettes on the menu, so that would always be the add on. It was so good.
0: You get the moulet frites and the and the croquettes. And
3: and the croquettes and of course a good Belgian beer.
0: Okay. Yeah.
2: Mm -hmm. But we also have like things like the hot dog, which we think of as sort of a ballpark thing in the U.S. But you go to Iceland and this is something that everybody sort of eats after the bar, right? And Icelandic hot dog has all sorts of things on it, which I love. And the best is sort of caper filled sauce. And I love this because one of our writers pointed out to me that there's a very famous stand then I am not gonna try and pronounce it but Kim Kardashian set off this national uproar because she only asked for her hot dog with mustard when she went which is sort of not okay sacrilegious yeah Hmm.
0: hot dogs come with very specific local iterations
2: they do right
0: Right? like yeah like you, the Chicago hot dog, the New York Street hot dog. The danger
2: dog, the, which we have in this. The danger That dog sounds is, crazy. Yeah,
0: the danger dog is the most interesting one of those. Tell people what the danger dog is.
2: So the danger dog is a griddled hot dog. Um, and we have a few people from L.A. on our staff, and they brought this up. And a lot of us were kind of like, what? We've never heard of this thing. But apparently after concerts, it's very popular food that's sold from carts, right? So it's a griddled hot dog that's wrapped in bacon. And then that's crisped for flavor. And then... It also has peppers and onions for some sweetness, and then you add a jalapeno. Ooh. Yeah, so it's very similar in sort of in many ways to the Sonoran dog, and that it's wrapped in bacon. Yeah, it's yeah. another regional specialty, which to me is another great late night
1: free eat. side of heartburn.
2: Yeah, but <laughs> but the Sonoran dog, well, in in Tucson they they add uh, pinto beans and mayo on, yeah. on, on all of that same yeah. stuff. Yeah, yeah.
1: It's
0: also wrapped in bacon.
2: Yep. Yeah. That's yeah, a special bun from Mexico, right? Yep. The bolillo roll. Mm-hmm. Bolillo roll.
0: And that is also a... <laughs> that's how it's pronounced. I know that's a popular thing. Is it also a late night thing?
3: That I'm not sure of. I, I mean, I, w- I would imagine so. Like, it's like street food. Yeah. yeah Every Sonoran they s- they dog s- I've
2: had in Tucson has been late night. But yeah. that probably says more about me than. I was going <laughs> to say,
0: how late does Tucson go? Hey. Is that like 915? <laughs>
2: <laughs> Wild night. 845.
0: 845. 8, 4, break out the, <laughs> the Sonoran dog. But I love this because it's really emblematic of what we're talking about, which is, this is Los Angeles. People are health obsessed. Mm-hmm. <laughs> they've, yeah. they, they've got their kale salads. Yes. They have their strange, you know, concoctions, uh, their juice bars. And then it's like late at night after a few, I don't know what they drink in Los Angeles. Green juice.
2: Green, juice, green right?
0: vodka, green juice shots oh, alcohol, or something. Yeah, I, I don't know. Oh, definitely. Mm-hmm. Um then, all of a sudden, it's like the hair gets let down, and here comes the bacon-wrapped hot dog.
1: I have a theory that just came to me, so it's going to be really well-formulated <laughs> and very My favorite kind of coherent theory. and concise. <laughs> it's not the case for all of these, but with a lot of these. I think when we late-night resort to some of these foods, we're actually harkening back to a simpler time in our societies. Because if you look at a lot of these foods, a lot of the foods were born like, almost, like, out of necessity. So, like, fried rice is in our encyclopedia, for example. Mm -hmm. Literally, you know, can be traced back to, like, the 6th century CE in China as a way to, like, get rid of leftovers and make sure you're using all the foods in your cabinet. You just throw day-old rice and anything else you have. And and I love that you
2: wrote... It's, like, getting rid of germs, too. Yeah, (laughs) so so you just fry
1: it to death, and it's all good to eat the next day, even if that lamb's been sitting out on the balcony for, like, four days. Um, And then, like, you know, you've got dumplings which you'll find anywhere in the world whether it's you know ukraine china arguably you could say samosas in india you literally just get whatever you've got stick it in some dough wrap it and fry it or 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 grill it Mm -hmm. so i think when we're participating in these late night rituals we're actually kind of paying homage (laughs) to our to our forebearers Hmm. (laughs)
3: I don't know Assume. if you could say that about the fat sandwich. <laughs> that that
1: <laughs> is fake science right there. Fat, fat sandwich, that too. I mean, that's just literally science. like what... Literally somebody took whatever they had in their fridge and tried to shove it in a sandwich.
3: Yeah, well, that's true. So you've got, like, a bunch of Orida bags and, like, Alexia frozen food <laughs> in the freezer that you just need to get
1: rid of. Yeah. Thanks for taking me so seriously, guys. Yeah. There's well, I was...
0: Gonna, oh, go ahead, go ahead. No, I was just going to say there's two things about that. One, yeah, maybe there's some sort of, like... I'm drunk, I'm now famished, you know, I got the munchies. What's lying around and it's how can food. I Yeah, it's comfort food. Second thing is there probably is some science around all of these things tend to be greasy and mm-hmm. heavy, right? So there's probably some science around that. And then the last thing is a lot of these things are what the Italians call cucina povera, right? Like they're poor people's food. Mm-hmm. They are not refined cuisine. Mm-hmm. This is not Escoffier, right? So to some extent they're readily available and we're talking about you know probably traditions in terms of the behaviors the context in which we're eating these things late at night on the street or in you know in or near a bar you know a sort of like vibrant center but vibrant late at night so we're probably not talking about where the hi-hats were hanging out you know
1: and it's like yeah it's democratizing right it's yeah how many times have you been with that like banker friend who's like oh let's go to dinner at this place that is a quarter of your. You have
0: banker friends.
1: Yeah, <laughs> it's like the We're quarter of so much. quarter of your journalist salary. You know, when you mm-hmm. suggest meat on a stick on the corner near the bar, like yeah, it's something everybody can get down with.
0: That True. to me is
2: very primitive. That was going to tie that into your uh, ancestors. Uh, High five. We'll get that on, on okay, the microphone. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Because that's another one, right? That mm-hmm. you find not as many iterations, um, but just in terms of dipping sauces, how it's prepared. Yeah. Which. Sate. Well, oh no, wait. Yeah, meat meat on a stick. stick, Meat on a
0: stick. So we generalized out. Meat on a stick. Yeah. So many things,
2: because I said like satay in Indonesia, and then you have yakitori in Japan. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yep. Peru. Anticuchos. Mm -hmm. Which is very specific.
0: Often those cuts, like with yakitori, they are the cheap cuts. Like hot dogs. Yeah. It's way excess. Exactly. It's the awful. It's the stuff that you couldn't (laughs) use and that was super cheap and that you could buy even if you didn't have a whole lot to work with.
2: Yeah, I mean, uh, Sam and I were both recently in Japan and we've compared experiences, I think, where we talked about basically eating all of the chicken, yeah. right? Yeah. It's a progression of the meal and mm. you get the heart, you get the liver, you get the throat, you get uh, the Uterus? skin. Yep. I didn't have that,
1: but... I It's yeah. delicious.
0: Damn. That just sounds wrong when you say it like <laughs> that.
1: <laughs> feel... what? It's creepy. We're talking about a chicken. Yeah.
0: Okay. Um, Anyway, okay. So, can we talk about just for a second? Can we talk about French fries?
3: Hell yeah!
0: (laughs) Freedom fries. Where do fries? Where did the? Where did French fries originate?
3: So there's that big dispute between France and Belgium as to who actually created the French fry. But I think. What do
0: you think? What were you able to establish?
3: I would go with Belgium. If I had to pick, I think. And it came why? A, came around in the 1600s. Sustained pork. Yeah, the they
0: can't
2: fish yeah. in the winter because yeah. the water froze over, right? So, so you potatoes, have potatoes, and mm-hmm. then you
3: make French fries or frites, as they would call them, frites. Okay. And so yeah, like you should obviously get them there. There's frites shops everywhere. I saw them when I was in Brussels and Ghent and Bruges. You can get chips in London.
0: How do the the originals, the Belgian, compare to what we know? I hate to say this, but what? So many Americans know as French fries at McDonald's.
3: I feel like the Belgian frites are kind of like the standard, like, long, thin strip. But then if you go in the U.S., there's all these different iterations. There's, like, the curly fries, the waffle fries, the tater tots, steak fries, which I hate.
0: Wait, you're going to put tater tots in the same category as French fries? Some people do. it could be like a croquette. I think it's a croquette.
3: Oh, you know what? Okay, but there's no cheese. It's just Potato. (laughs) just a,
2: a molded hash brown. It's, okay. So gorgeous. it's like a,
3: we will remove tots from the French fry category.
0: But not from my plate. No. Never <laughs> from your plate. Don't even try to do that. <sighs> no. Okay. So we have many varieties of fries. Yeah. And with fries, one often gets, as with the hot dog, one often gets accompaniments. Yeah. What do the Belgians eat with their fries? Mayo mayo
3: for sure that, which is one of my favorite ways
2: to eat it
0: okay
3: yeah i definitely prefer that over ketchup i like mayo and ketchup together
2: oh mayo ketchup which is why i'm happy that mayo choup is coming out anyone what?
1: else what the heinz
0: mayo <laughs> the <chip>?
1: heinz? yeah <laughs> isn't that just the thousand island sauce basically? no no
3: it's ketchup just mixed with mayo the thousand what is a, what else is in thousand island? pickles or relish relish i think yeah and, and so some that. spices maybe sorry for the digression no but then, of course, like you go all over the world and you could have chili cheese fries. You
2: could have truffle fries.
3: That's
1: making me so why didn't? Why don't we have like four buckets of Popeye's ladies. chicken here right now? But that was the thing. When,
2: it, when I was with my friend in Dublin, we would go to these places and you get the fries and you can get stuffing mm. and coleslaw and gravy. Oh, my God. It's sort of like poutine, but with crazy random toppings.
3: I always like to do that in england when i was studying abroad i would either get gravy chips or curry chips yeah i love curry curry chips chips. those were so good Mm. even mcdonald's had curry sauce that's (laughs) how you know
0: so now we separated now i'm questioning this editorial decision (laughs) (laughs) and i'm gonna ask you guys to justify this we separated poutine from fries Mm. now why did we do that these things are clearly related they share a lineage why did we <laughs> 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 Even Siri is is confused by our extraction of poutine from the French fry category. Why did we do this?
2: Uh, I don't know.
0: Ooh, stumped! Stumped her.
2: Well, I feel like no. poutine is.
3: Catherine,
0: true. you started the podcast strong. Yeah, <laughs> I feel like it's the, it's the middle here. You're flagging.
3: That's like the iconic Canadian dish. It's kind of separate from French fries because like they like you would get poutine.
2: It like, always has to have several components, yeah. right? Fries to me is just sort of like the way it's prepared. Yeah. Whereas poutine, you can't. Okay, wait. Hold fries on. <laughs> is
1: fries is an ingredient of poutine.
2: Right. Mm-hmm.
1: Okay.
0: So right. it would be strange to He's going to rescue you. We're not going to talk
1: about, you. you know, I'm trying to think of another example that we have in here. Like, meat on a stick. We're not going to put every dish that involves, like, a sheesh kebab... Ramen. We have in ramen dish, in there, too. You know? Yeah, but it, I'm, I've got... Sorry. It. <laughs>
0: <laughs> He's trying to save you. Don't interrupt. Sorry, sorry, sorry. Right?
1: Like, you're not going to put... You could argue that some that some of the... There's overlap between meat on a stick and hot dogs. Sometimes you take the meat that's on a stick and you grab some bread and you eat them together. It's the same thing. Mm-hmm. So, in this case... We couldn't talk about poutine in the same entry as french fry because French fr- in the french fry entry we're talking about frites, we're talking about waffle fries, mm-hmm. we're talking about these things that are the base ingredient. Poutine is a dish that involves french fries but not exclusively french I've fries. I've got it.
3: Not all fries are poutine but all poutine is french fries.
0: Okay. Okay. What involves else? french fries. Involves french fries. Because if we say
1: is then it should have been in that entry.
0: Okay. <laughs> Now, just for the uninitiated, now that we've been talking about it, what is poutine?
2: Fries, Mm -hmm. Um, cheese curds, and gravy of some sort. And then from there, you can, I mean, this is like traditional, right? Mm -hmm. And then from there, you can put on really anything you want. My favorite is to put on some smoked meat in Montreal. Um,
0: Did you get that? Yeah. I've never had that. Yeah, you can do it. Let's talk about ramen. (gasps) Ramen is undergoing, and it has been for the last... I don't know ten years, a sort of explosion in the in the U.S. Right, we've got ramen shops all over the place, and yet here it is kind of in this border space between, you know, regular food and high end food. You've got people waiting in lines to go to lunch at Ivan Ramen, and it's a fine dining experience, not because there are white tablecloths, but because it's a foodie crowd that gets attracted to that. But what is ramen? What is the sort of origin of ramen, and where does it come from?
2: So it's actually originally a Chinese um, soup, and the Japanese sort of took it on after the war when rice rations were low, and then it really became popular with the invention of the instant noodle. Now that in
0: nineteen, 19- we got to put that's real science.
1: There you go like, to support my your little. Uh, theory there. What's That's what theories are for? You make the theory and then science proves it. Okay. Sorry, Catherine.
2: Um With the invention of the instant noodle in the 1950s, right? Ramen shops were just popping up. And you brought up an interesting point about ramen being a trendy and sort of more expensive thing in the States, which yes. is mm-hmm. hilarious to me. And I think we've, a few of us have talked about this when we did this package that you can go to Japan and sit down 24 hours a day and eat ramen better late at night, in my opinion. And it, it's, Affordable. And that'll be the, and some of the best ramen you'll have.
1: You're literally ordering it from a vending machine. Yeah. Like it's not a hip well, you dining can. experience. No, you, know? you don't. You
0: don't have to. But it's not a hip dining experience. It's a very popular dining experience because it's just part of it's what people eat a yeah. lot of the time. So it's a lunch thing. You know, it's like a lunch counter. will have amazing ramen and there'll be a line outside. But the line is not because, ooh, this is a hip new restaurant. It's because it's lunchtime.
1: But mm-hmm. it's a, I think it's the same thing. I mean it's also because there's a certain element of it of it being new and different here still I mean, it's the same thing with you can there's places in New York where people line up for hours for dumplings too, right, even though it's such a staple back in Taiwan or mm-hmm. mainland china true um so it's kind of I'd compare it to that, yeah, I think in Japan it's still very much a utilitarian late mm-hmm. night food for most people, mm-hmm. you know of course, there's innovators making you know, crazy broths and stuff like that, but it's still mostly just sort of the hearty dish to eat mm-hmm. before you take the last train home.
0: And what is it about ramen that puts it into this late night category? What makes it so great at that time of night?
2: Well, I would just say the salt.
1: <laughs>
2: <laughs> it just tastes good, right? Um, the carbs, first mm-hmm. of all. It's just a very hearty filling meal. And it's mm-hmm. something that you can do easily on your own, but you can also go... It's like a quick, very low-level commitment. a big thing, too, yeah. I
1: think. You, know, you can down a bowl of ramen in like three minutes if you're serious about it.
2: I mean, to me, it ended up here because several of us have had this experience late at night of Tokyo and going. I know when I would go there in college with my friends, this is like what we would do after going out. Because mm-hmm. there are these places that you're talking about that are in the basement of a subway station that are open. And you just go and sit down and chat and have a bowl of ramen.
0: Okay, let's talk about the donor kebab. What's the doner kebab? Where did it come from?
1: So, I mean, most people, I think, attribute it to Berlin. Although they say there's actually a single person, a Turkish immigrant in Berlin, that they say a lot of people say invented the doner kebab. But mm-hmm. actually, I think it's been commonly established that you know, getting the ingredients of a doner kebab and putting it in a piece of flatbread extends all the way back to 18th century yeah. in in Turkey. Yeah,
0: and that the that difference that. the difference there is that the meat is roasted vertically yes.
3: on a
1: rotating Yeah, you saw this
3: all over Istanbul.
1: Yeah, and yeah. so it's, I think, been popularized as a late-night dish specifically in Europe because of Turkish immigrants, especially in Germany and the UK, um, to the point where, I mean, you see it, yeah, Germany, Austria. Mm-hmm. It's like, at night, every other block is a donor place that's only open after dark.
2: And I wish I could describe the bread... Better, but it's a certain type of bread because mm. I think people in the states will say, oh, it's very similar to like a gyro, which is Greek in origin. And they are very similar. Mm. But I think Lala has a beautiful description in her write up when she talks about the bread should be strong enough to not break. But the meat should be like substantial should enough that you should, should be arm. running down your arm. I love that visual because I think.
1: Yeah. We've all been there. If you have a clean yeah. doner kebab experience, it's something's wrong donor with your doner kebab. Donor kebab. Yeah.
0: <laughs> That's true of a lot of these things. They're kind of messy, yeah. right? Oh, yeah. they, you get your face into the ramen. You get the doner kebab all over your arm. The juice. From
1: mm. the donor a crop. visceral connection with our forebears.
2: <laughs> <laughs> Stop trying to make forebears happen. <laughs> all
1: right. I think we can't leave the encyclopedia
0: without talking about pizza. Oh, yeah.
2: za, Brad. No, za, Never.
0: Never
1: Zah. Gonna go get so some why never Zah? Za? Start Ooh. there, just because it's it stupid. Sounds it's like dwee-by.
0: calling San Francisco Frisco or, or
3: San Fran. <laughs>
1: yeah, you just don't. Do, do you think it. it was ever in fashion though? To call it Za. Yeah, it was the Bro-Eat
0: when I was in college, which is dangerously close to the time that certain Supreme Court nominees were in college, <laughs> drinking with my friend I'm going Brad. to. Yeah, I was, was <laughs> Tobin, <was a, laughs> and I just I gotta say there was a lot of drinking going on, um, and a lot of. Zah hmm. consumed. There were broy types
1: who would call it Zah, bro. That's it. That's awesome <laughs> I feel za. like
3: I see it all over Instagram <laughs> but like, now, though. It's like a trendy caption. But I, I think it's ironic yeah. now. I it's think like, people use it ironically now. Gonna go get some Zah. I think York City? I think
1: it's ironic. Is it? This sounded very sincere from the bros. Of, your college days. I, I, it's already knows.
2: short enough. Pizza. <laughs>
1: yeah, it doesn't yeah. take no. very long to does say. does
2: not need a nickname.
0: But now again, we have to be clear that we're not talking about the pizza that is celebrated as a fine dining, you know, foodie experience when mm-hmm. we're talking about this. What pizza are we talking about here? A dollar talking slice. Talking about the dollar slice. Yeah, late classic night slice.
1: dollar slice.
0: Lots of cheese.
1: Yeah, lots of cheese. Floppy,
0: floppy crust.
1: Your it's plate the, should be a
2: little bit greasy.
1: The cheese... To like tomato sauce ratios never quite right, nope. you know.
3: Crust is a little dry. I mean, in New
2: it's York, sweet. it's those places that all have the pizza. I mean, it's a lot of places in New York. It's it's cold, right? And then you point to your slice, and they take it out, and then they throw it in the oven. Yep.
0: When you think of this, every I'm going to bet that everybody at this table, and probably a lot of people listening, have in their memory, somewhere lodged, a za, <laughs> <laughs> experience that sticks with them. What is it for you, Seb? I have so many. Pick one.
1: No, I mean, I think I can pick one category of Zah experiences. It's the (laughs) being a musician in Brooklyn Zah experience, where it's like show night, you already resign yourself, that that's dinner. Resign
0: yourself? It's not something you look forward to?
1: I mean, not when you're sober, but after the show, (laughs) once you've had a few beers, you're like, all right, time for Zah, bro. Do you like Um, beer? (laughs) Do you like beer? (laughs) I like, do you? Oh, Do you drink beer? Um... (laughs) <laughs> yeah, and it's that experience of you know maybe like you're not gonna eat two or three slices before a show, but afterwards it's making the walk. Usually it's a two hundred foot walk because there's a pizza corner in every corner in Brooklyn, and getting that slice or two at the end of your night after having a few beers and playing a show it's it's a nice fond memory.
0: What's your favorite? Maybe it's even the favorite club, and it just happened to be the pizza place near the
1: club. Yeah, there was a place called Palisades. That is now a Sicilian eatery in Bushwick.
0: Oh, got upgraded? Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm.
1: Well, Palisades is the concert the, is venue the, the that the concert. we used to play at. Okay. And that gotcha. was shut down because it was too DIY and the police shut it down. And now it's a very fancy Sicilian eatery. That's a quote. Oh. Um, How many stars does it have? <laughs> but down the street from it was a place, who knows what it was called. It was called Pizza. Pizza place. Pizza. It was called Pizza. It had a red awning. Mm-hmm. Pizza wasn't great, but I just have a lot of... Uh, memories of standing outside of it, mm. burning the roof of my mouth. You know.
0: Yeah, Catherine. Oh
2: boy. <laughs> uh, I had just started a new job, and. Then I went out on the. It
1: was this job, wasn't it? No, no, it wasn't
2: this job. <laughs> Actually, went out in the East Village. It was pretty late and we went out. Um, this wasn't with people from the job, but then we went to this pizza place, again, sort of like Seb said, closest one. And I saw a new co worker and oh. we just saw each other from across the room and just like ran and embraced each other. Um, I don't know. It was this weird, strange reunion with a, co- you know, you guys know me. I'm not really a hugger, but no. after a few drinks and. The, you know prospect of pizza and so that was a fun memory for me because New York is such a huge city and you never think you're gonna run into people um let but, alone your
1: brand new coworker. yeah
2: and I was with my husband he was kind of like who is this person <laughs> that he never he never met he thought I was just <laughs> hugging strangers um so that's probably my favorite memory because it speaks to New York being a small city in many ways uh my favorite pizza place is literally i think i've told you about this it's called cheesy pizza that's actually the name it's not good at all descriptive yeah sorry cheesy pizza that's what it says on the awning and
0: was it in fact cheesy were they it is telling pretty, the truth it
2: is pretty cheesy this is sort of by my house now and it's good after a few drinks is everybody looking up cheesy pizza Nope. No. everyone has their phone out now okay nope <laughs> sorry too bad
0: i'm sure it's awesome
2: this is the awning
0: Cheesy pizza. There it is. Not telling any lies. (laughs) You or the pizza place. It is. Bridget, what's what's your pizza story?
3: So this definitely isn't the best pizza that I've had. I think I can credit that to Venice. But pizza that's one of my favorite memories, there's this place by the Hoboken train station. And often either if I'm coming home from work or the city or maybe I've gone out with my friends in Hoboken and I'm really hungry after leaving the bar. There's this place like literally maybe a two minute walk away from the train station and it had the best chicken bacon ranch pizza slice ever. I'd always get like two or three slices, get my own (laughs) little box, bring it onto the train at 1.30 a.m., the last train back to New Jersey, and just ride home. And it was great. And the other day, actually, like last weekend, when I tr- went home from Brooklyn and went to go to that place to get pizza, it appeared to be closed. Whoa. I'm really hoping, Tragic. really hoping that it's still alive and that was just a one-night mishap, but.
0: Pour, pour one out.
3: Yeah, pour, pour <laughs> one out for Buffalo Chicken and Chicken Bacon Ranch.
0: Just to prove that this is not a New York thing, my pizza memory, late-night pizza memory, is, Golden Boy Pizza in San Francisco. Do you guys know this place? In Frisco? In Frisco. <laughs> Zah in Frisco, bro? Yeah. Got some Za. No, I do not. Some Za in Frisco. It was, it's in North Beach, which was a late night, one of the late night neighborhoods. And I many, many times went there. And what was different about this joint was they had this little window that faced Green Street. So it was like right outside where if you were doing like a pub crawl mm-hmm. in North Beach, It was very centrally located, very easy to access and had sort of the bright lights on the block that very, you know, easy to spot. And they had a in a classic fashion. They had the window opening right onto the street so you could walk up and see the pizza sitting there, you Mm. know, looking delicious. And it was square pizza, unlike what you often find in New York and other places um, where it's triangular slices from a circular pie. They had the square pizza and it was thicker. And super satisfying late at night. And I can remember, this is dating myself many, many this is many years ago. Literally, I think 24 years ago, the night that Kurt Cobain died. I had this friend staying at my brother and I had this place up there. A friend of mine was staying with us, and we were all in mourning, of course, and being good little grunge heads or whatever we were. And we went out, and how do you celebrate Kurt Cobain's life? you drink a lot <laughs> and and then we ended up along with many other people at Golden Boy Pizza at the end of the night and it was like this perfect kind of like you know very satisfying very comforting there was something very comforting about mm-hmm. the grease the peppers the sausage the, the cheese so much cheese and the thick crust that just like you know set a nice little end to the and sent us home to mm-hmm. to sleep with all that us down. That's a good it's piece nice. of memory. Yeah, I feel that, like we can't we can't beautiful. leave the
1: subject of pizza without plugging Instagram account from someone who's been on our podcast before. Oh yeah, uh, Francisco Balactus, who's was mm-hmm. on our podcast about traveling for events because he's he travels the world for. To run marathons mm. this is
0: so incongruous and we talked about this with him this is a guy who's like a a, a, a serial marathoner yeah, like, like
1: the fittest human alive also <laughs> runs dollar pizza slice nyc on instagram <laughs> where he's re- been trying to review every single dollar pizza slice place in new york amazing so if you're traveling through new york or you live in new york and you're looking for the next late night place to have pizza maybe look at that pick a place, and then pick your bar around the pizza versus what you usually do. Oh, oh Seb, you just genius. inverted. Oh, wow. wow.
0: That was not fake science. That was real <laughs> science.
1: Although I think I remember him saying that like, one of his favorites is in like the Upper East Side or something, so good luck with that. Yeah. <laughs>
0: I don't think that's going to happen. So I wanted to ask each of you guys, because mm-hmm. um, Bridget, you and Seb both wrote Odes. I did. What did you, what did you write about?
3: So, I wrote about this fantastical sandwich, famous in New Jersey, called the Fat Sandwich. <laughs> and it's pretty much exactly what it sounds like. You can take, like, every late-night food imaginable, like chicken fingers, mozzarella sticks, cheese steak, and just, like, shove it all in a roll. What? With some
2: sauces.
0: For real?
3: Oh, yeah. It sounds, like, incredible. Yeah. and It, it seriously is, like... I first experienced this when I was like 14, this local bagel store in the town next door to me. like Some college guys took it over at night and just started selling these things.
0: So it's like bagels during the day, and at night, this crazy thing.
3: This crazy thing,
1: yeah. But is it is the invention of one place in New Jersey first, and then other kids have been kind of copying it over the years?
3: Yeah. So it was actually first invented in Rutgers, New Brunswick um, on the college campus in the late 1970s by a food truck called Are You Hungry? which now has a permanent store open 24 hours in New Brunswick. And since then it's kind of like spread all over the state and even all over the country. Like you can find it in Bellingham, Washington. You can find it in Austin, Texas, but Hmm. New Jersey is where it's really signature and where it was invented. So like I, like when I was like 14, obviously there's not much to do in a small town in New Jersey, unless you've got like, a bunch of movie rentals or like it's someone's birthday. <laughs> <laughs>
0: it's so funny because Maine was very lively. Yeah. I, I would have thought. Yeah, sorry, go no, ahead.
3: No, it's okay. Um, but yeah, when, so I was 14 and I heard about this like underground operation and then we all would just like get someone's parent who's like especially patient to drive us there and get these sandwiches, maybe a milkshake if we were feeling bold. Because they also had those, and just take it back and stay up until like three. Well, you in the guys morning. were
0: drunk, and someone's parent was driving no, you. No, no,
3: we were sober. That was the oh. thing because we were fourteen. Now it's a drunk food. But, now it's a drunk but food. But I love
2: that it was sort of like the the focal point of these sleepovers, right? You yeah. talked about in your piece about how. You guys would just sort of sit around, watch movies, and talk. And then it became this big, like, exciting thing.
3: Yeah. That
1: was like the excursion to make.
2: <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah definitely. Like, the big decision of the night.
1: Forget Hot Topic. We're going to get. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Like, hot my topic.
3: first concert when I was 15 was MGMT. And I saw them at Radio City Music Hall. And then on the way back, but of course, had to get my dad to drive us to Cars, which actually ended up having a permanent store location now in Ramsey and Montclair. So I could go get it whenever I wanted. It's open during the day, too, but still better at late night. And I had to get my Fat Doug sandwich. (laughs) You (laughs) should say what a Fat Doug is. A Fat fat Doug. Doug. So all of their sandwiches naturally are prefixed with the word fat and then some name like Fat Reptar, Fat Doug, Fat Phil, whatever you You have. You couldn't
0: get a Fat Bridget.
3: You know, you know. After writing this story, there's. Like, why does it have to be dude names? Are you listening, cars? (laughs) But um, the fat Doug had chicken fingers, French fries, onion rings, mozzarella sticks, and honey mustard on it, and that was the first order that I ever got.
0: It's like just sort of take care of everything all at once. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like why why have six meals when you can have yeah. just
1: one?
3: And like they sell them in eight inch and 12 inch rolls, but like Jeez. I've never even bothered to try the 12 inch because like just how could you do that Jeez. to yourself?
1: I mean, you share that with you like a- Six people. Like I a mean, soccer team. I I yeah. know some <laughs>
3: dudes that did that, but I never <laughs> went that far.
0: Wow.
3: I mean, even now, like one of my favorite ones, which I think is one of their more iconic sandwiches, is the Fat Reptar, which is cheesesteak, Chicken fingers, mac and cheese bites, <laughs> jalapeno slices, and buffalo ranch dressing.
0: This is madness. This is food. <laughs> I'm so hungry. <laughs> it's drunk food because you have to be drunk to order you, that.
2: Oh
3: yeah, Four 14. I've gotten it
0: How do you fit that times. in your
1: like? How do you? Yeah, how did you it? get your face around that? Did you eat it with that? a fork and knife? No, it's like if you have a normal like sized like face. How did that happen?
3: <laughs> Thank you. I would like to think I have a normal sized face. <laughs> I, it's like compactly rolled. I guess you can. Oh, they can smush it all up for you. They well, kind of. I mean, it's like if you see a picture, it makes sense. Like you can eat it. It's like it's a very big, dense. It's like a big Italian sub that you'd get at a deli, except it's just nasty. <laughs> <laughs> okay, it's really good, good. advertising. good yeah. Great advertising. I mean, if you're like not up for this fat sandwich, you can get a buffalo chicken sandwich. They have Boring. some normal Boop. options. You can get mac and cheese bites are different appetizers the mac and cheese bites are bomb let me just say
2: I'm going for the fat soprano the
3: I f- f- you know, when I do oh! get one I would
1: put mac and cheese bites by the way under the category of croquettes yeah I would too what anyway, I agree continue. with you second Yeah, you second. A fried ball filled with mac and cheese <laughs> yes. yes
0: instead of potato you have pasta
2: It's just something that's fried. That's just fried things. There's
3: no No, potato.
0: You have to make little squares or balls. It's a triangle. you fry it. It's a triangle. That's okay. It's just a different geometry. Mm -hmm. We can fry a a triangle.
3: But the fat soprano that Catherine mentions, this is like so emblematic of New Jersey and my absolute point of pride, but it's like meatballs, fried ravioli, mozzarella sticks, marinara sauce. What? Yeah. Yeah. No, it is hardcore. And it's really good. good.
0: So, but yet, what this raises, to, to, <laughs> to take it out of the, you know, very specific context of that, which is great, yeah, is that in addition to these foods, I guess, if we want to call them that, these mm-hmm. things that are semi-universal or who, that have broad appeal that have shown up in lots of places like the Donut Kebab or fries or whatever, mm-hmm. there's also many, many, many very local versions of this mm-hmm. yeah. right? very small very local very specific kinds of things that exist only in a very specific place and you can't get it anywhere else Seb what did you write about because yours isn't necessarily one of those but it did have a very specific meaning yeah. for you
1: I mean there's an angle to it in which it is because so I wrote about again also this is pure coincidence but also harkening back to the age of 14 <laughs> I guess everyone was just getting super nostalgic with these stories we wrote for this package of stories, but I spent my teenage years in Jakarta, Indonesia, which is a little different from suburban (laughs) New Jersey, (laughs) just a bit. In terms of you know, general chaos and also just the teenage experience of an expat kid there in a city that did not enforce drinking or smoking age (laughs) meant that (laughs) I started started young and. When I first got there, you know, I don't want to just basically narrate the whole story I wrote to you, but basically the, the crux is that a certain street food dish that it's especially enjoyed at night in Jakarta, not always by people who are drinking because it is also the capital of the largest Muslim country in the world, so not not everyone's out partying all night, but, but you were the expat 14-year-olds are, yeah. <laughs> um, is fried rice, or as it's called there, nasi goreng. Mm-hmm for a long time it was kind of based on you know my parents being like oh no don't you can't eat the street food it's gonna mess up your stomach you'll get sick whatever and also just I don't know the nature of being in this very protected bubble of an international school and the expat community and everything meant we kind of like for a long time just looked at it from afar and been like oh it's just kind of part of the landscape of this city when we're out or whatever let's go to was I, it
0: forbidden? It wasn't. It
1: wasn't like full out forbidden, it was advised against, you know. Um and it was just it felt separate. Not you know? to
0: not to put you on the couch here, but were you the kind of kid who had anxiety about would this upset my parents? Oh, no.
1: no, absolutely. I mean, I was out smoking cigarettes and drinking beer, okay. so absolutely not. <laughs> um but it was more just that like it was more I think it was more like fear or like arrogance of being in this separate community that for a long time felt very separate, and it was barriers really that, looking back, were just created by us. There's no reason for us to feel that way. Um, but we'd, you know, still, at 13 or whatever, we'd still go, if we were having, like, a night, a dinner out or something, we'd go to, like, fucking Outback Steakhouse in the mall, which is really... Really? De- there this was an Outback? A, yeah. Moving which is really in depressing in Jakarta, to think about. Jakarta, there's an Outback? That's, the sad <laughs> thing is that there was then, and there still is now. We so. used to go to Walmart and get go. donuts in Jakarta. That's <laughs> okay, what so I prefer. Um, so... But actually, so I I write about basically my initiation into this whole other world of the city in which I lived, um, which was sparked by nasi goreng fried rice. Uh, And it was kind of part of General Night of Rebellion. It happened to coincide literally the exact same time with the first cigarette I ever smoked as well with three friends. We we had been drinking at some party or something and we're hungry and we're like, oh, let's get some nasi goreng. Let's, you know, do the Jakarta thing. And let's also buy a. Did it feel
0: like that, like a moment of rebellion? Yeah,
1: absolutely. And it felt the whole thing kind of felt like like, this was our night of rebellion, you know. Mm -hmm. Um, So we like literally were just like smoking cigarettes wrong because it's our first cigarettes. (laughs) Um, While like like, no, we didn't. We didn't get sick. Oh come
0: on, everybody gets sick the first time they shoveling.
1: You know, orders of Nazi goring into our face. But then that kind of I don't remember the exact trajectory of how it happened, but that kind of ramped up and became something that just became part of my weekly Mm -hmm. or, you know, every other week experience of going out with friends all through my teenage years. And it was like an entry into this whole other part of the city that, like, I had called home but wasn't really home. And suddenly it started feeling a little bit more like home because I'd be sitting next to, like, the local punk rock kids and, like, the local salary men who are just getting off work at 11 o'clock. And it it felt good. It felt, you know, I was learning the language better. I was making more Indonesian friends. And it became kind of a rite of passage into feeling like I was part of Jakarta. And sort of the capstone of that is a very local variety of nasi goreng, which is called nasi goreng gila, which literally translates to crazy fried rice. And this is going back to my kind of of out-of-necessity thing and, you know, the forebears. Um, (laughs) It was invented in Jakarta, as far as people know. And it basically involves frying rice and throwing literally whatever you have on you into it. So that's usually various types of sausage, maybe some offal. I've had it with like chicken heart before, you know, other random scraps of meat. And then like to mask everything you just put in it, like a fucking barrel of chili. So it just blows oh. your face off as well. Amazing. Of, of like chopped chilies and, and sambal hot sauce. So oh, that, you need both? The hot sauce both. and the it's chilies? it's like, it's just, it's fire. But it became like the, that was like the one to work up to. And once we did that, it was like Nasi Gorengila, where are we getting it tonight? Mm -hmm. And not only is it from just Jakarta, it's from a specific neighborhood in Jakarta, which fun fact happens to also be the neighborhood where Obama went to school when he was in Jakarta Uh to the point that now one of the most famous little kind of Nasi Gorengila stands, because most of these are just makeshift stands that pop up overnight, is known as Nasi Gorengila Obama. People still go because it's right next to his school where he went as a kid. So you're saying Um, you're
0: you're friends with him?
1: I'm saying, yeah, we all know each other, you know? Um, (laughs) But So the point is like that for me was very formative in making me feel, even if I was still a little bit separate because I'm not Indonesian and I was living in Indonesia for five years in a very privileged environment within Jakarta, it did make me feel like I was part of the city. Um, I had kind of crossed that barrier and... You know, even if as a teenager, I was like an idiot in every other respect, it like felt like I was at least participating in some form of cultural exchange with the environment around me, you know, Mm -hmm. And and I loved it. Now it's like some of my fondest memories. And I just got back from Jakarta on a work trip. And one of the first things I did, well, you know, after midnight was be like to my friends who are still there I was like cool where are we getting Nasi Gorangila and we went out and we found a spot and it was like it felt really Here? good to do it again you found a no 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 in Jakarta oh, in when Jakarta. I was there oh yeah. okay
0: so this is like a thread became a rite of passage it unified you mm-hmm. this kind of experience can unify you with a place yeah, in that way yeah I think way. so
1: I think it's kind of what we how we started this conversation where we talked about how it, you know, it can feel like you're being let in on something mm-hmm. you know
0: the other thing that I think it suggests or points to is These are, in many cases, if not all, social experiences as well. Mm -hmm. And they often take place in contexts that facilitate that. And that sounds like a fancy way of saying, you know, they're on the street or Mm -hmm. they're in um, marketplaces. Marketplaces are, in fact, like markets are one of the best places to do that. What are some of the market-type environments that, like I think of hawker centers, which I've never been to, but you guys have constantly talked about, and it makes Mm -hmm. me, like, I I, I want to go
1: there. Yeah, I think that's the classic one of at least the Hawker Center of Singapore where, you know, it's a social environment in that, like, it's all of Singapore participating in their national pastime, which is eating. Mm -hmm. But as an an outsider, as an observer and a participant where you go and order a bunch of different dishes from different stalls that specialize in one thing, Mm -hmm. it's, like, a reminder that that is the national pastime because people there are, like... It's like eating is business. They're there to eat. You know? And you'll know. You'll see people, you'll see like the old uncles at night drinking beers and after they eat. But when someone's got a dish in front of them, it's all business, um, which is kind of because it's like kind of a reflection of some parts of Singaporean society and culture as well. So I think it's like that's where you see a place in its primeval state almost.
2: But it's kind of like what you were talking about, right? The first time I went to a hawker center, it's like. Like you said, people are there for business, right? And you have to choose your spot. No one's going to come and give you an assigned seat. You have to see an open seat and just go, Mm -hmm. even if you don't know people. So for someone that can be new to a culture or a place, it can be initially intimidating, but then you sit down and it's like, why? This is what everyone does. This is how you do it. Um, So that's what I mean about places being excellent entry points. That was my exact experience in Jakarta was that it was,
1: I was intimidated by it. I was like, I'm not, you know, I'm, separate from this because of my environment in which I'm living and having just parachuted into this country. Like I have to be sad. And then once I finally broke that barrier at like 14, I was like, no, what the hell was, have I been missing? Like, this is Mm -hmm. amazing.
2: Yeah. You sit down, talk to different people that you would have never otherwise met.
1: Or
0: you stand up. Like often this is food that you can eat while walking, right? Walking around, milling around, standing around. unless you're in Japan, pizza
3: definitely, if you do like the little fold. Fat sandwich, I don't know. A fat sandwich requires a big table. That is a a dangerous choice. Unless (laughs) you're
0: willing to
1: lose (laughs) half of it.
3: (laughs) It just like slides out. (laughs)
0: Totally feel that. So one of my other, and I bring that up because one of my other favorite things that we did is the trip that we kind of took around the world, bouncing around from place to place, looking at some of these scenes kind of parachuting down into some of these scenes because they're very lively they do have a very strong sense of place and culture and but also community right in, in the sense of of again these are places that people congregate they tend to, it's like little centers of gravity in a location that at a certain time of night get turned on you know and some of them some of the places that we looked at in this don't even open until the middle of the night. And in fact, that was one of our recommendations. If it opens at 3 a.m., it's probably a great place to get to. Mm-hmm. Catherine, what was your favorite of these?
2: Well, my favorite is probably the one that opens at 3 a.m., which is not a place I've been to, but a writer of ours who lives in Hong Kong, Kate Springer, went to um, and recommended. It's called Sun Hing, um, mm-hmm. and it's for dim sum, and it opens at 3 a.m. Um, so it and it closes incredible. at 4 PM, Right. So she describes the crowd as like Hong Kong University students, an early riser, um, an early rising octogenarian. And so this is a dim sum place that's atypical of traditional dim sum places in that people do not walk around with carts because it's so tiny. So the way she describes it is you have to sort of go to the back of the room and choose what you want. Uh, These women come around and offer you tea that's about it. You otherwise have to choose what you want to eat. And so you're sort of fighting for space in this tiny place. And it just sounds amazing. That and also another place that another one of our writers, Ben Kemper, went to in Madrid mm-hmm. um, called Lady Peppa. And this is a perfect example of what we're talking about, where you can order Spanish food, but everybody that goes there orders pasta, spaghetti sort of with meat sauce, which sounds exactly like what you want to <laughs> eat after a night on the town, right? Yeah. Um, so that's somewhere that is open until 7.30 a.m. and he went at 4 a.m. and checked out the scene there. And so both those places sound like, again, places you would never like find really possibly in a in a guidebook, although I do think we have Sun Hing on our city guide uh, list, but places you would probably never think to go at like, six in the morning and they just sounded so fun. Um, we had another writer in Moscow and, you know, when we were talking about what's the late night scene in Moscow, like we were thinking it was going to be something with dumplings. Mm. Mm -hmm. Um, and she came back and said, actually, um, a lot of people go to American diners. Hmm. It's where (laughs) in in Moscow, so there's this picture, um, that she paints of sort of these, you know, crinkly fries and like, the sort of what we think of as a a typical like 50s diner right Mm. like red leather um no roller skates um, but really (laughs) just places that are relics of like old time americana and i just thought that was hilarious because i'm like of course that would be the answer we're expecting something like so typically russian and that's that's something you would never expect so i love that and we really do bounce around the globe ashley halpern reported from osaka which has to me one of the best late night dining scenes. What is it there? Um, so the food is my favorite Japanese food which is okonomiyake which is like a pancake that has a bunch of crap thrown in it. We've talked about it before. Brad's like, yeah. I've yeah. <laughs> heard you talk about it. Yeah. Like eggs, cabbage, and then you get bonito flakes and you Ooh. get soy sauce and mayonnaise. It's also Again, a lot of, it's a, it's also a lot it's of seafood griddled. on a stick uh-huh. in Osaka. It, yeah, the, yeah. The, Meat the, on a stick. Meat on a stick.
1: Except it's like octopus balls. fish on a stick. Yeah,
0: oh, um, yeah. Octopus Balls? Takoyaki. Mean, like, like, oct- yeah. Octopus
3: like a, have balls? Like an octopus, octopus croquette.
1: In balls. Yes. Oh. Oh. Croquet. Octopus croquette. Octopus ah. croquette. On a stick. Okay. okay. Oh my Sorry. God. Fusion. <laughs> Fusion yeah. drunk food. Yeah. <laughs> Meat on a stick in a croquette. Yeah. Seafood.
0: Wow.
1: Wow. <laughs> um, Takoyaki. That's right.
0: <laughs> Takoyaki? Yeah. Yeah.
2: <laughs> yeah. Chopped octopus mixed with sort of in a batter and then fried. I'm sure you saw it when you then went to you- Japan. It's like in this little. Pan that I want to buy, which I have absolutely no use for, and they have like little golf ball sized divots, and then they pour in the batter and they flip it over. And they're always selling them on the street. And you got a little toothpick Osaka. to like, yep. mm-hmm. and then it's
0: oh, always too that hot to so eat. Good. And, you know, it's super handy. Oh
2: my yeah, God. there's this alley in Osaka that people go to Dotonbori. Mm-hmm. After you drink, just walk. It's packed. Yeah, mm. so I like the there.
0: I like the the idea of a bagel shop. Oh yeah, in Brick Lane. In London. Uh-huh. It's, like, counterintuitive. Like, it's not what you think is going to 24 happen. 24 hours. 24 hours. Oh, the
2: salt uh, beef. Yeah. Yeah. That
0: that. Salt beef, me.
2: mustard on a bagel. Whoa. Oh, my God, yes. I mean, it
0: sounds amazing. Yeah, I'd eat that. Because I
2: think n- when you think of Brick Lane, most people think of The Curry shop. Yes, yeah, for right? sure, for sure. Um, but one of um, the writers there went at 1 a.m. after going out. This is out. Sarah. She's Sarah? from Traveler UK. Uh-huh. Yeah. Um, and she describes just this... It really feels chaotic in the way that she describes it, sort of people shouting out their order. Which is very
0: not, not English. <laughs> exactly. Right? I not think she mundane. says
2: it's like the one place where you won't find a sensible line. <laughs> people are really trying to get their salt beef. I would. Um, so we go there. Uh, we also have Bangkok, which is another like amazing late night food city.
0: Mm-hmm. You would expect.
2: Mm-hmm. Um and a writer there go and have some pad thai and goes sort of she sort of skips the line at Phi, Um which is the Michelin starred omelet. Mm-hmm. Um so if you just continue a few paces down, there's a um pad Thai place that she goes and she checks out. Um and then like we sort of circle the globe. Like you said, we go to Mexico City to a place that's open twenty four hours where you can get tacos delivered in your car or you can go inside to a place that I think seems like it has not been updated uh, since 1969. But that's not the point, right? Mm-hmm. The point is the food and eating well, together. That is kind of the point,
1: though. You want to be in that environment at that time.
2: No, I mean, it's not the point that it has been updated. That's, right. You know.
1: And I like where we
0: ended up on this, which is we've talked about this as being a, a drunk thing. But it's not just that, right? There's also places everywhere... And this is where we finished up that particular night um, that we rode around the world um, or flew around the world or whatever we did. Teleported. Teleported in and out, which is at a spot that is popular among cab drivers Mm -hmm. in New York City, Mm -hmm. you know, that is popular throughout the night. But, you know, people coming off shift, people headed, you know, right before they head home the Punjabi deli and grocery. Oh,
1: yeah, I love that place. Uh, yeah,
0: and, and I think, like, it's, it's a good reminder that this isn't just about, you know, kind of going out with buddies and getting drunk, that there are many other, you know, reasons why you might find yourself in the middle of the night or early in the morning, as the case may be, needing not just that dose of, of comfort food or something that's very satisfying, salty, you know, carby, But also the society that comes with it, you know, the the company that comes with it, Um, that's part of the whole experience. Okay, so on the site, whatever you want to call this, package, collection of stories with pictures that have... Uh, a common
1: theme. Tribute to tribute our forebears.
0: Tri- yeah. <laughs> tri- <laughs> tri- tribute to our forebears. <laughs> you need to check this out. This is at um at uh Cunning traveler at cntraveler.com. I'm actually gonna read i am I'm gonna say a URL into a microphone. So I'm sure oh. everyone's got their pen and yeah, paper out so ready to write this down. Write this down. <laughs> <laughs> down. CnTraveler dot com slash story slash late dash night dash eats. Can you believe I remembered that? I'm Nailed not even it. I'm not even reading. You sure wow. it's right? Yeah. I'm hundred percent sure it's right. Can I've, confirm I've, I've typed it so many times. <laughs> um, don't forget to subscribe to the podcast. We are on iTunes, we are on SoundCloud. Visit us at cntraveler.com. We are also Condé Nast Traveler on Facebook and YouTube and CN Traveler on Instagram and Twitter. And please do tweet at us. Let us know what your favorite late night drunk or sober, or working, or whatever food may be. And let us know where you like to go. Let us know what food you like to eat. Let us know what food um, you remember from your childhood when you were 14 and rebelling against your parents, or whatever <laughs> it was that you were doing. Happy birthday, Lale. Uh You're 45th. You look fantastic. <laughs>
1: uh, I still... I don't think anyone... Are you on in this, on this inside joke? No. I, I was not. Re- I have really no Brad idea is where this the only person from. who is maybe in on it, and uh, he says it every time, uh, No, know what t- Catherine I s- told
0: me, and I, I was not <laughs> Wait, actually part of joke, it. Though? So I just adopted it, and I feel like I have to say it every, all the time Every now.
2: podcast. Yeah. Every <laughs> podcast
0: <laughs> now. We wish Molly Brad, a happy birthday. birthday where like happy like, did that Happy 45th birthday.
1: Uh, it was... She said,
2: oh, yeah, well, I just celebrated my birthday, and I said, 45. And, and I, Here we are. I yeah. felt
1: like that. It's like ten <laughs> podcasts
0: later, <laughs> yeah. I have to have to keep
1: it up. Uh, Seb, where can people reach you? I'm at Seb Modak on all the socials that I'm on.
0: Catherine,
2: I'm on Twitter at KJ Lagrave. Bridget, you can find me on Instagram at Br Hallinan.
0: And I'm at Bradrick. Have a great weekend. Get some drunk food.